privilege it is uh, to be able to be uh, together as per usual on a Sunday. This is uh, my first official Sunday back. So from the holiday services, uh, we spent some time in Gauteng, and so now I'm back, and so it feels like uh, it's good to be back together with everybody. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Rimo Tlale. Uh, I have the fortune of being able to work here for the church, primarily with the, the campus students or the university students, uh, and then I do a bunch of other things uh, like being able to speak this morning, which is a great privilege and a great gift. Uh, before we dive into what we're going to talk about this morning, I do know that um, some of us have had some questions around uh, where are Verna and Lisa and what happened, and we heard some rumors of, of them going on sabbatical. Perhaps you weren't here the Sunday that that was announced. Uh, I do want to say they're doing well, they're healthy, uh, they're, they're figuring out this sabbatical life, uh, and really, ultimately, just after 27 years of full-time ministry, and the last three years in particular from 2020, which I'm sure we can all attest to being an incredibly challenging year, uh, they felt like, and they asked for uh, a break, and uh, the leadership team and some of the shepherds in the church and some of the leaders in the church felt like more than welcome, absolutely have a break. If, if you did miss that announcement, it is on our YouTube page uh, as our gradu- part of our graduation service, so maybe you weren't here that Sunday, you missed what he said, uh, please feel free to go back and check that out, but I just thought I should mention that they are doing okay, they are alive. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Then, um, to get us kind of thinking about where we're going to go here, I do want to ask, do you guys know by any chance, and you feel free to shout out an answer, what is the greatest critique that people who get to preach regularly get? If you had to guess, if you had to guess, what do you think, it's like, man, this is our, like, a real pet peeve about preachers is this. Too long. All right, I heard a couple of too longs as well. Okay, so timer on. I'll make sure that I don't do that. Anything else? Any other guesses? Sorry? It's, it's personal. Okay, it's personal that somebody feels attacked. Okay, we will try not to do that this morning. Yes, ma'am? Monotone voice. Okay, I'm going to try to elevate and make sure that that doesn't happen. But somebody in this section gave what I landed on as the correct quote-unquote answer is that, man, it's just too technical. That, man, preachers preach about stuff that nobody in the church really cares about. That, you know, guys are telling you how the tabernacle was designed, and it's like, bro, I, I, like, good stuff, it's from the Bible, but I don't care. I have a life to live. I have kids to look after. I have a boss to try and uh, handle relationships with. Can you give me something for the week ahead? Can you give me something for my soul? Can can it's close to Buddha Sanders' point. Can you say something that's personal? But don't attack me, right? It's like, walk on that very thin line. And so it was with this mindset that I, I thought, okay, last year we started talking about, okay, who's going to preach when next year? And I realized, snap, I still fall in January. So I should do some research. What do people preach about in January? You guys won't guess, man. Some people start the year off revelation. <laughs> I was like, listen, I still want to be asked to come back, so I'm not going to do that one. I, other people start with repentance. Five-week series in January on repentance. Like, look, I believe in repentance. I think repentance is great, but I'm just like, oh, I don't know. That seems like a slippery road to go down. Of course, other people talk about goal setting, right? For many of us, January, we set our New Year's resolutions, our goals. We, we've moved from resolutions, right? We're now goal-setting people, or, you know, we want to line ourselves up to be this type of successful person. And then what happens is January is kind of like our free trial month. And we get to see, will this really work? Am I really going to be the type of person who works out six times a week? 
or am I just going to con be consistent at three? Right? We, we figure out, am I really going to be vegan this year? Or should I just give it up now because actually a bri is too good to let go of? Right? Am I really going to be X, Y, or Z? And we, we realize it whether or not it's going to happen in the month of January. And so usually people preach about goals and how to set them and how to make sure that they last. But for me, as I continue to pray and do some research and ask some questions and talk to some people, the idea that came up for me is one that I think is embedded in who it is that we are. I think it's one that, if we're honest, we wish we spoke about a little bit more. Honestly, I think it's one that stands out because it is so personal. And it's this idea that life, or it, whatever it is, is not all about me, but rather it is all about we. And that's just a simple play on words there. But what I found as I spoke to people is that people really love community, particularly when it comes to church. That the reason we gather like this, the reason why I'm in a family group, the reason why I spend time with people, have coffee, have people over to my house, is because I love to be in community. You know, one, one campus student last year said that seeing their friends at church was what helped keep them alive every week. You know, another person said, man, in, in church, in this church in particular, I feel like people know my junk. They know what's wrong with me, but somehow I do not feel you know, I even had a conversation with someone who sat on the other side of the spectrum. He said, I'm sure I can connect with God on my own. Why do I need the whole church and community? And it just feels like it's a schlep. And so this morning, church, and, and for the next couple of weeks, what I thought we could have is, man, let's have a couple of conversations around this idea of community. Let's see if we can connect with one another and chat about what does the biblical text talk about? and say when it comes to community, and then perhaps what are some things that we can learn, maybe things we have to change and adjust, maybe things that we're already doing and we need to continue in as we go into and continue through the year of 2023. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, uh, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you that uh, we get to be here together. Thank you, Father, that in your uh, grace and abundance of mercy, uh, you saw it fit, Father, that we would be uh, alive today, that we would be able to hear uh, your words spoken this morning. Father, I pray that you move me aside, uh, that your spirit shines bright and shines through, uh, that you say what every individual needs to hear. Father, please uh, take out what I've put in my notes that is not from you, and please put in what I haven't put in my notes, Father, that is from you, uh, that everybody may walk away with something from you, that we would be people who have, have a great sense of information that leads us to transformation the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. You can turn over to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be parked there for a little bit. Oops. But really, this story and, and what we're going to try to do this morning is, is set up a framework for where is it that humanity comes from in relation to this idea of community. Right? There is something in us that we all can resonate with this idea of community, relationships, whatever word you want to put there. And so for many of us, the account of Genesis chapter 1 is one that's familiar, right? Whether you've read it on your own and in your own time, in the beginning, was like we've read it or we've heard it said. I mean, I remember, and I'm sure you guys can resonate, I remember in Kids' Kingdom, as little as this big, learning about the creation story and that God did it over seven days and, and the like and what, what was created when. I think they may have even been like a little play that we put on, but I can't remember if I'm making that up or if that's actually true. But the story is relatively familiar to us. Day one. God creates the heavens and the earth, and he separates light from darkness. 
Day two, God creates the sky, and he makes this vault that is the earth and this thing that is the heavens. Day three, God creates land and sea. He places vegetation over it. In fact, the, the text goes on to say, and he saw that it was good, right? God creates, in day four, God creates the moon and the sky and the stars, and he, he sets up these things, and again he says, and he saw that it was good. Day five, God creates all of the animals in the sea and everything in the air, and again, he saw that it was good. Good. And then in day six, God creates all land animals. And now, believe it or not, we fall under the land animals created on that day. In fact, of, of us, humanity, this is what the text says. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. So this is Genesis 1, verse 26. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals of all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the, the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, whole earth. And every tree that has fruit with, with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, according to the narrative, God creates a number of things over a number of days, and he consistently sees that it is good. But did you catch what happens at the end of day six? After he's created mankind and given them their commission and told them how this is going to run, what we find is, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Now, I don't know how you walked in this morning. I don't know if you thought about this this morning, that I think I'm part of God's very good piece of creation. Well, that makes me feel good. Hopefully, it will make you feel good too. But that's what God sees. When he looks back over all that he has made, he sees that it is very good. And yet, what's so interesting about the biblical text is that as, as the writer was penning this narrative, he pens two narratives next to each other. Now, I'm not deep and philosophical enough to let you know exactly why he did that. But what's interesting is that as he writes the second creation narrative, we see insight into how mankind particularly were created that I think is very helpful for us understanding our own design. In fact, Rabbeini Bakia, I hope I pronounced his name right, he said that the first account, the first story, deals with an animal called man. And the second, meaning Genesis chapter 2, which we'll read now, this tells about the reflection of God called man. Right? It's, it's quite an interesting piece there. Right? And this is, this is his commentary on, on the text, but he's saying that there is an animalistic, livestock-like, walking-along-the-ground human thing that God creates there. But as we get insight, the second story or the second narrative is insight into the reflection of God that is called man. So let's have a look at what happens with the reflection of God in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, The Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a suitable helper. Oh, sorry, I'll make a suitable helper for him. 
See, God sees that something is not good for the first time. Notice, if we had read the text right through, especially if we were reading the original text, we wouldn't have had ways to italics or bolden or underline. So it would have read, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good, and then it is not good. And so that it is not good would stick out like a sore thumb on the page. We'd be caught as, why, why, why is that there? Why is it not good for man? Or what is, what is not good? And then, of course, he says, for man to be alone. And up until this point, everyone says to me, okay, Remo, we've, we've read this text, we, we know this, this is all fundamental stuff. And yet for me, I had to ask myself, I've heard this narrative multiple times, and I know that it is not good for man to be alone, but is the answer to why it's not good for him to be alone something that I know? Put another way, why did it matter to God that man must not be alone? And I think for many of us, maybe we do think, oh, no, no, God needed to create a wife so they could procreate and so that they could actually go over and subdue the whole earth. And I think there's truth there. But I wonder if perhaps in the person of God, we may find an answer that gives us insight into what community can truly be as we consider this idea of it's all about we, not all about me. Have a look with me in Genesis chapter 1, because this, this is what the text says. The text says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. In our image. In our likeness. So what we, what we can gather is that there's a plurality that is creating the individual or the plurality of humanity. A lot of irities in there. But there is a plurality a multiple hour and our likeness God who looks and creates the multiple mankind in their image, not in his individual image. You see, and for us, first, 21st century Christians, the idea of there being a trinity is something we automatically understand to be written into the text. And yet there's potential that the original writers of the text would not have necessarily had that insight. Because it kind of took early Christians, which, of course, the, 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 the Torah, the, the Hebrew Bible, is before the Christians came about. But early Christians are the ones and theologians who looked at the text and said, no, there is actually something called the Trinity. There is a God who is one, but exists in three persons. That he is in total and honest and regular and loving community. That he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, so for Christians, we don't think we have multiple gods. No, we think we're monotheists. We have one God, but we believe that this God, this one God, in his oneness is not singular or, solid, or, or solitary. Rather, in his oneness, God is in community. Right? In his oneness, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are living in loving relational unity with one another bringing their gifts and their thoughts and their abilities, the things that they add to the community, all onto the table so that they can be known as one. I've heard Vanna describe this as loving union, the divine dance. But other, other ways that scholars have tried to make this make sense is, I don't know if you've heard this one, the, water, the idea of God is like water. He's one, but he comes in three forms. Have you heard that one? I don't know about you, but that one doesn't strike me. Like, okay, so God the Father is the ice, and then the Holy Spirit is the vapor, and then Jesus is the liquid who kind of moves through time, you know? It's like, uh, and hey, no beef. I, I, thank you for trying, you know? 
Another, I, I, that sounds like I think I'm better than them. I'm not. I, I'm going to propose a thought that's actually not my own thought now. But the other version is the egg. Have you guys heard that one? Where like an egg has three parts, the shell, the yolk, and the, the white. And God works in the same way. That one landed better for me because I was like, ah, they're all in connection, right? Like, it's not like ice, ice becomes water. So Father becomes Jesus. That doesn't make sense. You know what I'm saying? So the, the egg makes more sense to me. But as I read some more, what I found is the best picture that now my brain can comprehend now, I mean, five years changed this, is that God is kind of like a community at a table. That there are three persons making decisions, living in loving union, living connected all the time, uniquely bringing their attributes and thoughts to the table, and then making unified decisions. In fact, this picture helped me to understand this. Is that the Father is God, but the Father is not the Holy Spirit. And the Father is not the Son. But, but the Son is God, but the Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is God, but He is not the Father, and He is not the Son. That the three are God, but they work in tandem. They're all unified, seated together, in my mind, at a beautiful table. And more on that to come in the next couple of weeks. But what's interesting is throughout the biblical text, you sometimes see the appearance of one or maybe sometimes even two of the triune God. Right? You can think of times in the, in the Old Testament where it sounded like the Spirit of God was on him. was the Holy Spirit's appearance. Then there's times where it says, you know, some people may have hosted individuals that could have been Christ. That, of course, could have been him. We don't know. And then, of course, there's times when Yahweh is in the bush with Moses. The time that I think of is as most clarifying on these three being together is actually in Matthew chapter 3. And I don't have time to turn there, but if you go there, you'll see Jesus' baptism. And there you see the Son being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, and then the Father saying, this is my Son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. And so what we see is that when, when God says it's not good for man to be alone, it's because from himself, the image which he wants to bear into, he is saying, we are not alone. We are in community. We are multiple, yet one. And so he says, man, I'm going to create in you the ability and the opportunity to do the same thing. Now, is marriage an incredibly important part of that? The fact that he creates Eve? Yes, absolutely. I'm not saying no to that. But what I am saying is the biblical text shows us that single people, widowed people, parents, young people, old people, those married and unmarried just alike live in community and are the, still the people of God. Those who are single aren't less than, right? They pursue just as much community and connection as anybody else. If anything, I would say, and this is just now my interjection, this is not biblical text, so do with it what you will, I think the focal point of God in creation of mankind is community with Him and with one another, not necessarily marriage and procreation. I think marriage and procreation is a byproduct. It allows for more community. It's not the point of creation. And what's incredible is in the, in the biblical text, when we look for, okay, so tell us about God. So many attributes are poured out about him. We get told so many things. And yet one of the key things that we get told about who it is that God is, is, not what he does, is that he is love. Chot is lifter. Not he, hey, us, no. Yeah, no, okay. I went too far. That was not in the notes. I went too far there. I went, I'm sorry. That's my bad. I, that's not on you. That's me. That, 
we? Uh, we will go back to the drawing board. God is love. Let's start there. Cut that out. God is love. Okay. But he is. He, he, it's not something he does. It's not something he produces. In fact, the, the, the song we sang, now I'm stuck because I can't sing it again, but the song we sang said, we come from lovingness. And it's because of eight... Mm-hmm. Donnie will come back and tell you. But that song speaks about the idea that we come from one of love. Because he is love. And so in the triune community, what we see is an overflowing of God's love. Oneness. And so for us, the pursuit, for us, for me and for you, is loving community. Why? Because we are created from loving community. For loving community. I'll say it again. We we are created from it. it it's, from, it's where we come from. It's in our DNA. And we are created for it. Now I know, I know already, there's a couple of us in the room who are like, ah, <laughs> not me, brother. I'm an Enneagram type five. Okay? We, we don't need people. We preserve our energy. We do as minimal as we can to get through life. I think that's just not true, Right? Whether you, are, whether you are any of the Enneagram numbers, whether you are red, yellow, orange, I know there's people who do that personality type, whether you are an ESFTP, INFJ, whether you are introverted, extroverted, what, choleric, sanguine, melancholy, phlegmatic, whatever word you want to put there, deep down in all of us, there is a longing for deep, authentic, loving community. The type of community where you are fully known and where you fully know. The type of community where there is not even a gap in one's understanding of you or even your intentions. The type of community that I think we see displayed in God, I think in us, we inherently long for it. But if we go back to the story, after God creates man and wife, or creates Eve, and he comes, the woman from the rib, and Adam drops a couple of bars. If you guys want to do some rap lyrics from there, you can go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. In 25, though, the chapter ends simply saying this, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they left, uh, sorry, and they felt no shame. It's such a cool ending to this creation narrative. The two of them were together, and they felt no shame. They fully knew each other and were fully known, both by each other and by God, and they had nothing to hide. Yes, physically, we know later on how the story goes. Yes, physically, but emotionally, spiritually, mentally, they could live authentically, they could live honestly, they could live unified in loving community, because that's how they were designed. That was how they were created. And yet what's so sad... Because, of course, we know Genesis chapter 3, they, they rebel. They choose not to place their trust in God and his words, and they decide to try and be God themselves. And that rebellion leads them towards sin. But listen to what the, the writer says happens after they rebel. It says, then, Genesis 3, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard... The sound of the Lord God as he, walk, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can I pause there and just ask, what does that sound like? Like, is God, like, silent? Is he loud? I don't know. But that's a pretty cool image to me. That they were in such proximity that they could hear him walking in the cool of the day. 
And the text goes on to say, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. I mean, it's incredible. The consequence of their rebellion, the consequence of them choosing not to trust God and trying to be God themselves leads them to their eyes being open and there is a loss of innocence. Shame enters into the picture and they can no longer be their truest, most authentic self. They don't know what to do with themselves, so of course they, they sew some fig leaves together. They, they cover themselves up and then instead of drawing near to each other and to God... They run and they hide. Now, I don't know if they are ashamed of what it is that they, that they look like. Like, I don't know if, if, if it was a weight issue. You know, like, I, that, like I, don't, I don't think so. But I don't know if it was like a, oh, I, don't, I no longer feel comfortable. I need Nike now. Like, I need Versace to cover this up. I, I think, this is just, again, my, my pure thought, we're allowed to think about the text, is I think it was more ashamed of what it is that they had done and the choice that they had made. And I think that the sad thing is that rebellion causes shame to enter into the community. That's what happens. Isn't that what we do? When I'm feeling good, when I feel like, bro, me and God, we're like, this might as well be an umbilical cord. I'm super connected. Then I'm like, let's hang. Anybody want to come over? Let's grab time. And then like, Something happens between Pali and I, or I lose my temper somewhere, or I get frustrated about an issue, or, or like I spoke about last, last year, I have some doubts. And then someone is like, yo, you want to come around? I'm like, ah, oh, bro, you know, <laughs> I'll see you around. Does that happen? Am I the only one? Okay, I'm the only one. That's fine. But it's like, man, when, when stuff is going well in my life, when I feel good, when I feel unashamed, I'm ready to connect. I'm ready to draw nearer. I'm ready to go deep. The minute stuff goes bad, man, shame enters the community, and then I want to disappear. And you see this with little kids, right? Do you guys remember a show called Kids Say the Darndest Things? You guys, okay, you guys remember that one? Uh, some of us in the room weren't, weren't alive when that was out, but anyway. But I remember watching that show and thinking, man, it's just so true. You know, I had, I had my own experience. My, my niece, she was about six years old at the time. My, my, wife, my wife, my sister was pregnant with, my sec with her second child, my other niece from her, um, and uh, they lived in an upstairs downstairs, but the upstairs was one of those like loft play areas for the kids, and downstairs was the living space with the bedrooms. And so my niece, uh, Owami, shouted from upstairs, uh, Mommy, Mommy, come see. My sister, heavily pregnant, she was about eight, 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 and a half, eight and a half months pregnant, sitting on the couch there, she's like, oh man, I can't get up. Owami, my back hurts. <laughs> my, my niece, not disrespectfully, not in anger, just very simply said to her, so, do you walk on your back? I thought, there you go. I thought, she gets it. But there's an innocence there. There's a, there's a matter of fact there. There's, this is just how things roll. And yet for us, the older we get, the more we learn how to hide, don't we? We hide them through cleverly worded captions on our Instagram or Facebook posts. Well-positioned cameras or photos that took us a while to put together, so long that the food got cold. You know, we hide them through good dress, right? We dress a certain way. A number of people said to me, okay, Remo, we see you today. I was like, that's just still me. But we hide it through that. We hide it through the look of success, what we drive, where we live. We choose to shade in the truth when we speak to people. Hey, bro, how are you doing? I, you know, I'm hanging in there. What does that even mean? Where is there and how are you hanging? And it's like, let's get real. 
you know, we choose to be partially honest. Someone tries to connect with you and, and you say, you know, it's actually been going bad. You know, my wife and I are, are having a bit of a spat. What a beautiful, deceiving word. What's a spat? Like, I don't even know what it means, but we say it and it sounds better than like, we're fighting. We're full on, I'm angry, she's angry, we're fighting, bro. We just say that that way. You know, some of us, we, we come to church, we slide in and we slide out. Our goal is like as little human interaction as possible, the better off I am. Yet when we go home and we post, we say we're lonely. We say we miss people. We wish we had a spouse. There's so much of our lives that is lived inauthentically today. There's so much of our lives that's lived with these covering up, with this shame, with this, I don't want to be true to who it is that I am. And I think it's because so many of our lives have rebellion in them. And so what I'm here to tell you this morning is that that longing, that deep desire inside your heart, the one that draws you towards people even sometimes after they've hurt you, that feeling of loneliness even for the introverts after day nine of isolation in lockdown, that, that deep desire of like, I just wish I could talk to someone. In fact, I wish someone could come sit quietly. I don't want to even talk about it, but just to be here. I think that is from God. I think it is his image imprinted onto you and imprinted onto me. And I think what God is trying to do, he is rapidly pursuing us being able to live in that full time. He is, he's engineered the church, 21st century church, that we would live this way, that we would know each other fully, that we would be fully known. I think he is doing everything that he can to help us to pursue being God and people, bearing his image and expanding that space, living from community for community. But that's not easy, right? I mean, how many of us can attest to even in this community, this is where the shame shows up. This is where the hardship shows up. This is where the difficulty lands. And I want to encourage you with this text here in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, sorry, I'm lying. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. The writer, this is John who has the revelation. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I don't know if you ever get tempted to write into the text your own words. I wish I could just add, and shame. There would be no more shame. There would be no more covering it up. That God would dwell. This is the final picture. See, the beautiful, the beautiful thing about a biblical text is it doesn't just start us at the beginning with what the narrative is. It ends us off with what the story will look like. So we're not confused. We're not like holding on like we don't know how this is going to go. No, we know. And how it's going to go is God is going to be our God. And we're going to be his people. And there will be none of this stuff. Hopefully I could add shame in there as well. We will be able to live in community as the final state of humanity. Now there's a lot of other stuff that will happen as well. But man, this is where we will be. In loving union with one another. Knowing each other fully and being fully known. Unified, authentic, carrying our real selves. See, what John saw as God revealed some things to him is incredibly encouraging for you and for me 
because it helps us to know that our true north is true. That as we continue to fight against sin and we want to repent and we want to keep fighting for the relationships, we do not need to lose heart. We can keep on going. We can keep fighting for it. Why? Because the end picture ends with humanity being in a final state. Sorry, with community being the final state of humanity. So how do we start this? I have, I have a couple of simple things that I hope will be helpful to you. The first thing is, write down some names. Oftentimes, preachers don't do this, but you feel free to take out your phone. Uh, please keep it on airplane mode, because I know it is already on airplane mode. You're not the type of person who texts in church, right? I know that. So while, while there, write down a few names that you feel like, man, I can make an effort to connect with more in the coming months. Just a few. For maybe for, for us with a little lower capacity, write down one or two names. Maybe for us with a lot of capacity, don't write more than five or six names. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I'm going to connect with 15 people. You only have seven days in a week. Okay, please, let's, let's keep it together. But I don't know where we are, but I think this is, the entry, this is the easiest point to enter. For some of us, this may be even your very first service with this church community. So in fact, for you, it's writing down the person who invited you. Or maybe you just stumbled in on us because of the internet. Sure, send us an email. Get connected. Again, I don't know where we are, but make that decision. Man, one or two people that I can connect with and say, hey, you can even send them a text to say, hey, I want to deeply connect this year. I want to choose to live in loving community, and I'm choosing you, warts and all. I choose to live that with you. You know, because I think it's so easy to make these sorts of ideas super ethereal and or some big picture stuff, but it's as simple as a text and setting up the time. It's as simple as being, being willing to choose someone to say, hey, I'm going to entrust my life to you. You know, when I think about this, I think about growing up in church. And I'll be honest, um, you guys are much better. I didn't sit in the front. I sat in the back. I was counting, you know, you know, bricks on the wall. I was, you know, figuring out who's doing what where. I, I wasn't often very focused. But what I do remember is one man, some of you may know him, his name is Heskin. Uh, Heskin drew me into community. Heskin said, hey man, let's go to gym together, let's connect, and let's start talking about the Bible. And, and we would do this, I think I've shared this from, from the pulpit before, but we would do this regularly, week in, week out, week in, week out. And what I remember is Heskin became one of my closest friends. So close that he, uh, he actually stood next to me as my best man at my wedding, about eight or maybe 10 years, whew, yeah, maybe well, eight years after we first met. But it was the decision that, man, week in, week out, we're going to connect. We're going to show up for one another. For some of us, it's about taking off a covering. For some of us, we've actually been in community, quote-unquote, for a while. We have something called a family group, right? You've been a, a staunch member. You've been there for many years. But the truth is you haven't taken off the covering. You haven't truly exposed yourself. And maybe you used to, and you remember when you did, but you haven't done so in a while. You've actually gotten comfortable with, hey, let's just clock in, and family group ends at 8.30, and at 8.30, I'm off. I want to invite you. I don't want to challenge you or force you. I want to say, man, take off a covering. And notice I said a covering. You don't have to take it all off. Take off a covering. Say, hey, this is one area of my life where I just want to get open about this. I want to get open about a fear I'm, I'm feeling. I want to get open about, about something that's happened that's really, man, impacting my faith. Man, I want to get open about something I am grieving. 
that's impacting my faith. You know, because these are some of the most beautiful moments where we can experience true community in the garden fellowship. I know for me, man, just this week, we, we, we had a, our family group, and every other week, we split up men and women, and it was just the dudes around the table. And, you know, last, the week before, we had discussed doing something, and, and, and if we're honest, you know, most of us didn't quite get to where we thought we would get to. But it was such a cool moment for me, because I felt like, man, here we are, guys who are all just trying to make it, and no one looked at me and said, hi. Oh, Dwemini, you didn't get it right, you know, no? No one looked at me as like the group leader. If anything, I felt like, man, I'm one of the guys. Dude, this is what happened. It's been super busy. Bali and I were in Gauteng. We, we weren't sleeping. We're exhausted. Even like as I sat there, I was tired. And man, we, 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 we saw some guys who had victories, some guys who had losses, and hopefully they'll attest to this, but it was bonding. It was like, great, can't wait to see each other again next week. And I love those moments. So I want to encourage you, take off a covering. I want to ask, if someone takes off a covering in front of you, be gracious, right? Don't be like, ah, you, come on now, you know, just be gracious, hear them out, speak to them, hear what it is. And then lastly, I'll end with this thought, for some of us, the next step would be make a vow of stability. You know, for some of us, we've actually been coming to this church, well, I'm going to say it, for years, and we haven't gotten plugged in. We kind of know people, and we high-five people as we walk through, and actually, even the kids are involved. They go to Kids, kids Zone, Kids Kingdom, and, and, and man, we know some people, but we don't know some people. And the truth is, some people don't know us. And we've kind of sat waiting, hey, can someone come? Can someone come and talk to me? Or actually, I'm not ready for those sorts of conversations, so I'm going to keep you at arm's length. Now I want to say, man, I think this may be the time to make a vow of stability, to make a vow, as the old um, monastery uh, monks would do, to actually say, I'm going to be here, I'm going to be truly here, and nowhere else. I'm going to give my whole heart all of the time. You know what, what uh, Pastor Tim Keller said, he's, he was a pastor in New York, he said, people are messy. Therefore, relationships will be messy. Expect messiness. I think for some of us, this is why we hide is we are worried, man, if this group of people actually knew who I am. Man, I, I, I grew up going to church, and I knew what was right, but I'm not doing it anymore. That's okay. You're safe here. At least we're trying to make you safe. We may mess up. Okay, I don't want to make broad statements like that. But we're trying to be a safe community. Make a vow to say, man, I'm going to stick it out. Let, let us get messy with one another. Let's get messy, because we know that the end story is beauty. You know, St. Benedict said, when we run from community, you run from yourself. Man, what striking words. I, I don't know about you if there have been those moments where you can see like, oh, these guys are going to expose the real me. And it's easier to run than to actually be contributing. It's easier to say, you know what, I'll come when the group looks this big and not attend when the group is small. And I know that these sorts of things, man, they're challenging. They're hard. But I want to say to us, church, we are created from community. And we're created for community. So as God is in loving, authentic community himself, let us choose to be in loving, authentic community himself, in ourselves. So we can all choose to be bearing that image of the one in whose likeness we were created. 
so that we can all collectively, in our small groups, in our family groups, one-on-one in relationships, strive to be able to say, man, it is all about we and not all about me. Amen. Thank you.